Let's take our Bibles this evening and turn to Isaiah chapter 43, please. Isaiah chapter 43. This evening we're going to answer the question, not fully, but partially, how can we glorify God? God has chosen to uh, glorify His name in and through the person and work of Jesus Christ, creation, even wisdom, but also within the, the life of men and women. And we see this here in Isaiah chapter 43. Also the nation of Israel God has chosen to glorify his name. Isaiah chapter 43, verse 7. The Bible teaches us that even everyone that is called by my name, for I have created him, verse 7, for my glory. I have formed him. Yea, I have made him. Let's pray. O God, you've chosen to glorify your name in and through your people. O God, we pray that you would teach us this evening how we can bring glory to your name. We ask in the name of our lovely Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen. Note the specific wording there in verse 7. I have created him for my glory. Him. In reference to who? Well, it's obvious. I have formed him, yea, I have made him. If we go back to Genesis chapter 21, uh, Genesis chapter 1, pardon me, Genesis chapter 1, note then verse 27, Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, it reads, So God created man in his own image, in the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. The pinnacle of God's creation is man. God created man on day six. Male and female created he them, the Bible teaches us in verse 27. There's no confusion, it's pretty straightforward, isn't it? Male and female. Either you are male or you are female. No, you're not a female trapped in a male's body. You're not a male trapped in a female's body. You're either male or female. And then the following verse goes on to read, verse 28, and God blessed them. God blessed who? Man, whom he created in his image, male and female. God blessed them. This blessing was struck down by the entrance of sin into the world. We note then Romans 5.12, Wherefore, as by one man, sin entered into the world. And thereby was death, because all have sinned. But Jesus Christ, through the lineage of Abraham, provided redemption in and through Christ's death on the cross. 
The Lord Jesus, according to Hebrews 2, tasted death for every man and provides forgiveness, provides restoration to sonship for you and I. And our salvation places us in a right standing before God, positionally. In Romans 3.23, the Bible teaches us, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But in Christ we've been restored, we've been reconciled back to God. And as saved individuals, we have the potential to bring glory to God. And as it reads here in Isaiah 43 verse 7, once again, I have created him for my glory. I have formed him, yea, I have made him. So God has created you and I for his glory, to bring glory to our creator. God seeks glory in and through man whom he has created. Now, how do we glorify God as men and women created in the image of God? Let's ask ourselves this question. How do we glorify God as men and women created in the image of God, being created in the image of God to bring glory to God? I have created him for my glory. How do we glorify God? Let's ask ourselves this very question. Let's answer this very question with the precious word of God. So we have within the scriptures some guidelines or some principles that give us some clarity as to how you and I, as men and women of God created in the image of God, can bring glory to God. A good place to begin is in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. How can we glorify God? Well, note here in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. I believe this is a good place to begin in answering this very question. And this will set us on the right pathway of bringing glory to God. Note here in verse 31. Whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. Do all to the glory of God. This verse gives us some guidance that we need to be mindful that we are created for God's glory and we need to keep in view that I have a responsibility to glorify God in all that I do. Now the context of this verse goes back to verse number 23. The context is of this verse is whether people should buy and eat meat 
that has been previously or initially dedicated to idols. This is the context of verse 31. Now this was an ongoing issue for Christians in that day. Some had the uh, mindset, it's okay to eat meat that's been dedicated to idols because idols are nothing. What does it matter? That was the attitude of some. But there were other Christians that had the mindset, well, that meat is still dedicated to idols even though idols are nothing, we agree, but that meat has been dedicated to idols so therefore we won't eat. So there were Christians that were on either side. Now, if we go back to verse number 23, note that it reads, All things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient or of benefit. In other words, we have liberty as Christians, but there are some liberties that have no value spiritually. Then he goes on to clarify in verse 23, all things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. So not, won't help to build spiritually. Then in verse 24, let no man seek his own, but every man another's wealth. In other words, be considered, be considered of others. Verse 25, whatsoever is sold in the shambles, that's an old English word in reference to markets, and often markets are shambly, are they not? Part of going to the markets is all shambly. So whatsoever is sold in the shambles, that eat asking no question for conscience sake. So in other words, in relation to meat offered to idols, if you buy meat at the markets, don't ask the question, has this meat been offered to idols? That way your, your conscience is clear and clean. And then it goes on to say in verse 26, for the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, because God created meat to be eaten and for our benefit. That's the context. But then it goes on to say in verse 27, If any of them that believe not bid you to a feast, and ye be disposed to go, whatsoever is set before you eat, asking no question for conscience sake. So here we have another example. If you're at the meat market, you buy meat, don't ask the question, was this meat dedicated to idols? Just buy the meat and eat it. God's provided it. And also, the Apostle Paul uses another example. He said, now, if you get invited to a meal, don't ask whether the meat's been dedicated to idols. Just eat and be thankful. Don't touch your conscience. Don't place a question mark on your conscience. Then note verse 28. But if any man say unto you, this is offered in sacrifice unto idols, Eat not for his sake that showed it. This is the Apostle Paul's perspective. 
So if you know that that meat is, has been dedicated to idols, whether you buy it in the marketplace or whether you are offered that meat within a home, then you are accountable. And the Apostle Paul advises, eat not for his sake that showed it to you. And for conscience sake, for the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. So it's within this context, if you go back to verse 31, wherefore whether therefore ye eat, what's the context here? Meat offered to, dedicated to idols. Whatever you eat, whatever you drink, whatever you do, if you choose not to eat that meat, Bear in mind the glory of God. The glory of God. Verse 32, Give none offence, neither to the Jew, nor to the Gentile, nor to the church of God. Don't place a stumbling block before others. And verse 33, Even as I pleased all men in all things, not seeking mine own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved. So the Apostle Paul puts it all in context and he's saying we need to be careful, we need to be mindful, verses 23, verse 23, that not every liberty that I have has any, has spiritual benefit, and I need to be mindful that I don't stumble others by what I do and by what I don't do. And that ultimately, whatever we do, we should do with God's glory in view. So don't offend unnecessarily. In what you eat, and drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Note that little phrase there in therefore, whether therefore you eat or drink, we should glorify God. And we can simply glorify God in what we eat and drink by being thankful. <laughs> Can't we? God has provided. Be grateful. And whatsoever you do, we should glorify God. Why? God who enables us to move about, to live, to achieve. He gives us the power, the opportunity, the will. We ought to glorify God. Amen. Our lives need to be lived with God's glory in view. That's where we need to begin. We've been created for God's glory. For I've created him for my Glory, Isaiah 43, 7, and we need to be mindful that our lives need to be lived with God's glory in view. So within this issue here of whether you eat meat or you don't eat meat that's been dedicated to idols, we need to be mindful that not all the um, freedoms that we uh, have don't necessarily um, edify and build up, but we need to be mindful that our liberties might cause 
offense to somebody. And the Apostle Paul said, I am prepared to, to, to go without. I'm prepared to make decisions. Verse 33, that souls might be saved. I'm prepared to go without. I'm prepared to not cause offense unnecessarily because I want to see people saved. So this is the context of this principle of do all to the glory of God. Our lives need to be lived with God's glory in view. How can I glorify God in whatsoever I do and whatsoever I consume, how can I bring glory to God? Your role within your home, your role within the workplace, your responsibility with your studies, your ministry, how we treat, speak to people. How can I bring glory to God? How can I bring glory to God in word and in deed? So we have God's glory in view. That's where we need to begin. Right there. If you and I are to bring glory to God, the one that has created us in his image, for his glory, it begins by you and I living out our lives with God's glory in view. I want God to be glorified in what I say. I want God to be glorified in what I do. That's where we begin. We need to determine to glorify God. Glorify God for all that we have and in all that we do. We have God's glory in view. Not self-glory, God's glory. That's where we begin. What does it mean to glorify God? to shine upon, to honor God where God gets the credit. For example, in the workplace, if your supervisor or your fellow workers know that you're a Christian and they note that you have um, been honest and diligent, that will bring glory to God because they will connect the two won't they? So we need to glorify God in whatever we eat, drink, whatsoever we do, that God's glory is in view. How can I glorify God? Tomorrow will be Monday. We will begin a new week. I trust that you will start the day by simply offering a little prayer to God, dear God, I pray that your name will be glorified in and through my life today. Whether you study or whether you are working or whatever you are caring for your children, God, I want to bring glory to your name. That's where we begin. Go to Romans chapter 5, please. Romans chapter 5. So we have God's glory in view. We make that our goal, for a better word. Our thrust, our purpose. I want to glorify God. I want to glorify God. Lord, I want to glorify your name today. But also note here, Romans 5, 
a practical way by which we can bring glory to God. So the basis is that we have God's glory in view. It's been well said, you aim at nothing, you'll hit nothing. That's how it is. But note here in Romans 5, verses 1 and 2, it reads, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice. Rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Rejoice in hope of the glory of God. What's this in reference to? It's in reference to our salvation, is it not? In hope of the glory of God. Now, the previous chapter, God makes it very clear that salvation is by faith alone. Go back to chapter 4, verses 3 to 5. It reads, For what saith the Scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. But to him that worketh not, verse 5, but believeth on him that justified the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. So this promise of salvation has come to us through the line of Abraham, who God promised would be the channel of blessing to the whole world. Look at verse 18, please, of chapter 4. Who having hope, believed in hope, that he might become the father of many nations. Note that little phrase in verse 18, who, who, pardon me, who against hope, believed in hope, that he might become the father of many nations, according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. So this is in reference to the blessing that will come through the line of Abraham. Jesus Christ was delivered for our sins and raised again for our justification. Verse 25 of chapter 4. Who was delivered for our offenses and, were raised, and was raised again for our justification. Therefore, therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So the context here is salvation, is it not? Talk to me. It's salvation. In hope of the glory of God is in reference to our salvation. That man can only be just before God by faith alone and Jesus Christ is the basis of salvation by faith through the grace of God. For by grace are you saved through faith. So we see faith in verse 2, we see grace in verse 2, we, we read that faith and grace wherein we stand, therefore we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So we are justified by faith, according to verse 1, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Accessed by faith because of his 
grace and therefore stand with hope, the hope of the glory of God. God is the God of hope. In him is the hope of eternal life, as it reads there in Titus chapter 1, please. Titus chapter 1. Turn to Titus chapter 1. Verse 2, it reads, In hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. So as we rejoice in our salvation of hope, God is glorified because He is the one that keeps us. He is the one that has promised us. He has uh, spelled out very clearly within his precious word, that nothing will ever separate you and I from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So how can we bring glory to God? Well, first and foremost, we need to keep God's glory in view. Keep God's glory in view. I determine to make it my life passion to bring glory to God in what I do. I want to glorify God in my ministry, in my work, in my studies, as I conduct myself within my home and within my community or whatever we do, we do for the glory of God. That's where it all begins. The Bible teaches us here that we can bring glory to God by rejoicing, in essence, in our salvation. Rejoicing in our salvation. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. The glory of God. The context is salvation. Jesus said, I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. What a blessing. What a blessing. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that ye may know that you have eternal life. Rejoicing in our salvation brings glory to God. You and I rejoicing in our salvation brings glory to God. We have God's glory in view and we never lose sight of the fact that it's by the grace of God it's by faith in Christ alone that we've been justified we have peace with God and this is the hope of the glory of God so we bring glory to God by rejoicing in our salvation go to 1 Corinthians please 1 Corinthians chapter 3 Look at verses 16 and 17. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 16 and 17. It reads, Know ye not that ye are the temple of God? You are the dwelling place. A temple is a very sacred word. It's, it's not just, it's beyond a dwelling, it's a place of worship worship 
Know ye not that ye are the temple of God? And that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? Verse 17. If any man defile the temple of God, that is the dwelling place of the Spirit of God, which is your body, my body, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy. Which temple ye are? That's pretty heavy language. Temple of God. Temple of God. Temple of God. You are the temple of God. The Spirit of God dwells within. That temple is to be holy. Now go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? Verse 20, For ye are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So in the first passage, the emphasis is that our bodies are the dwelling of God's spirit and we are not to defile our bodies. God will judge those that defile their bodies because it's the dwelling place of God, the temple of God. When we, we note that phrase three times, is God's holy domain. And the lead up to verses 19 of 20 here in chapter 16, uh, in chapter 6, pardon me, goes back to verse 12. Go back to verse 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12. All things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. That sounds familiar. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power or dominion of any. He begins by stressing we have liberty, but this liberty in Christ is not to be abused to the point that it leads to bondage. Verse 12. Now what kind of bondage is he referring to? Look at verses 13 to 17. Meat for the belly and belly for meat, that God shall destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for fornication, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God hath both raised up the Lord, and he will also raise up us by his own power. Verse 15, know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of a harlot? God forbid. What? Know ye not that he which is joined to an harlot is one body? For two, saith he, shall be one flesh. But he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. So he draws the conclusion then, verse 18, flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body. But he that committeth fornication, immorality, sinneth against his own body. 
So in verse 18, we are instructed to flee situations that will tempt us to compromise our moral purity. And he then gives warning in verse 18. Immorality is a literal sin against one's own body, which simply means that you will be scarred for life. Immorality scars for life, young people. Immorality scars for life. You will bear the consequences of immorality for the rest of your life if you compromise in that regard. And the author therefore concludes that your body is the the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit and you are to not be a free agent, verse number 19, for we have been purchased with Christ's blood from sin We belong to Him, therefore we are commanded to glorify God in our bodies, the dwelling place of God's Holy Spirit. So how do we glorify God in our bodies? By maintaining moral purity and integrity. That's how we glorify God. We glorify God by rejoicing in our salvation. We glorify God by maintaining moral purity and moral integrity. We need to maintain our moral purity within and without. Note what the Lord Jesus said back in Matthew chapter 5. Very sobering and convicting. Matthew chapter 5. Concerning moral integrity. Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 and 28. Verse 27 reads, You have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you, that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already, where? in his heart. That's sobering, isn't it? The Lord Jesus is not belittling the command, thou shalt not commit adultery, but the Lord Jesus is stressing the reality it begins within the heart of man. And your body, my body, is the temple of the Holy Spirit, and the Bible teaches us that we have to glorify God in our bodies and we can do so by maintaining moral purity and integrity and then the punchline is go to go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 going to verse number 7 chapter 7 verse 1 it reads now concerning the things whereof ye wrote unto me it is good for a man not to touch a woman But note in verse 2, nevertheless to avoid what? Fornication. He's been talking about fornication. He's been talking about moral integrity. He's saying nevertheless to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife and let every woman have her own husband. Let the husband render unto the wife due benevolence and likewise also the wife unto the husband. 
So the Bible is teaching us that we need to maintain moral purity and integrity because our bodies are the temple of God. The Spirit of God indwells your life and my life as a redeemed individual and therefore we are to maintain moral uh, purity and moral integrity and this will glorify God. Amen. Because God is holy. God is pure. We can glorify God with moral purity, moral integrity because your body, my body, is the temple of God. And as it reads there in verse 20 of chapter 6, once again, for ye are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. And the little phrase there, in your spirit, is in reference to the fact that the Spirit of God indwells our body. In other words, don't grieve the Spirit of God within. So glorify God in your body and in your spirit. Don't grieve the Spirit of God who indwells you as a redeemed child of God. For ye are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body, in your spirit, which are God's. So how can we glorify God? The Bible teaches us in Isaiah 43, 7, For I have created him for my glory. I have formed him, yea, I have made him. We've been created for God's glory. So how can we glorify God? We need to keep God's glory in view. Whatsoever I eat, drink, do, I do so with God's glory in view. Nothing more, nothing less. That's where we begin. And according to Romans chapter 5, we can glorify God by rejoicing in our salvation. And according to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, we can glorify God by maintaining moral purity and integrity because your body my body as a saved individual is the temple of God the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit and God willing in the weeks to come we will note some further principles within the New Testament as to how we can glorify God in our bodies so let's begin that journey, that pursuit by having God's glory in view, God's glory in view in my studies, in my work, in my ministry, in my fathering, in my mothering, whatever it might be, have God's glory in view. That's where we begin. And let's glorify God by rejoicing in our salvation giving God the glory, thanking God for eternal security. My Bible teaches once saved, always saved. That's a blessing. That's a blessing. No matter how I might feel tomorrow morning, 
Jesus said, I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. In hope of eternal life that God promised, God who cannot lie, promised. We need to rejoice in our salvation. This brings glory to God. Because the focus is upon God. It's God that keeps us. Am I right? Nothing shall ever separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. It's not you and I hanging on. That's not Bible salvation. It's God holding on to us. Glory to God. Glory to God. We bring glory to God by rejoicing in the hope of salvation. We bring glory to God by seeking to glorify God in our bodies, the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. Let's begin there. And God willing, in the weeks to come, we'll note some further principles from the Scriptures as to how we can glorify God in our bodies. Let's bow for prayer.